You're listening to Ladies Do Podcasts, a regular podcast to complement the monthly meetings of Ladies Do Comics at the Rag Factory on Henyard Street off Brick Lane in London and other venues. In this episode, Ladies Do Comics curators Nicola Streeton and Sarah Lightman will be talking about their work alongside Christine Redfern, co-creator of the graphic novel Who is Anna Mendiata? The talk was recorded at the end of September 2012 at the Whitechapel Gallery in London to coincide with an exhibition about Anna Mendiata at Space Station 65 Gallery in Kennington and the Q&A between the three creators is introduced by Joe David and Rachel House, the directors of Space Station 65. We're very pleased to be here and to be introducing Christine Redfern, who's the author of Who is Anna Mendiata, and Nicola Street and Sarah Lightman of Ladies Do Comics. Uh, we are... Rachel House. And Joe David. And we are artist uh, curators and co-directors of Space Station 65, an artist-run space in Kennington. We've been running... Space Station 65 has been running for 10 years, and this year we moved from our shopfront space in East Dulwich to a larger, much larger new site in Kennington, which has two gallery spaces, the second of which opened last night with uh, a fantastic display of Who is Anna Mendieta artwork, original artwork from the, the book. Do come and see. Do come and see. And we'll also have, um, through our studio company, Space Modules, we'll have a series of artist studios and design studios. We both have a long-standing interest in comics, and I draw comics myself as part of my practice. And when Christine contacted us and wanted, uh, suggested doing the exhibition with us, I already had her book, so I was, it was perfect gallery space for her to contact. I was very excited by it. And I was also fascinated by Anna Mendieta's story and the way that many women artists have been marginalised by the art world, by a very conservative art world, which I would suggest still goes on a great deal. And um, our work at Space Station 65 is partly led by our desire to show exciting and challenging art to people who may not visit contemporary art galleries, and particularly may not visit small artist-run spaces, which tend to often be tucked away in the back streets somewhere. And comics, graphic novels and fanzines can also be a a vehicle to share radical and life-changing ideas in in an accessible way. And it's a format that's often overlooked and undervalued. So for us, those two things fitted so well together when Christine contacted and we've got this show on, which is amazing. (laughs) Please come and see it. It's so lovely to see the original drawings flyers too you can take that give you the address and some information about it at the end if you want as well. So we're delighted to welcome Christine to the UK and equally pleased that Nicola Streeton and Sarah Lightman of Ladies Do Comics could join her here today. Sarah and Nicola are talented artists themselves and Sarah is also a curator and with their regular Ladies Do Comics meetings they provide a valuable platform for artists to share their work and of course to socialise together. We've mentioned the information over there. There's information about Space Station 65, Ladies Do Comics, and forthcoming exhibitions. And email us if you'd like to be on our mailing list. And we also particularly wanted to let this audience know that on December the 8th this year, where Charlotte Richardson Andrews is organising Queerzine Fest London, and we're hosting it at Space Station 65. 
So I hope lots of people here will want to come to that and be involved with that if we're to make, bring zines and comics with you. And that Queer Zine Fest London is going to be alongside um, Dr. Deborah M. Withers' Music and Liberation show, which will also be a great show to come to. But after that, over to Christine Sarah Nicola. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. I'm just going to talk a bit, uh, I'll just show you a bit of my work, show you, this is actually a collaborative book I did, and unfortunately the woman I made it with couldn't be here today, Caro Caro, but the two of us made this work, so that's part of making this comic, was making a collaborative work. Uh, I just have three highlights of my work here. This was actually, uh, I don't know if you people know, but uh, in Montreal there was a, a massacre at uh, the Université de Montréal, and I was asked to do a piece in memory of the women, so this... This is three pieces of work that I, I've done that I didn't know about Anna Mendiata at the time, but looking back, I find it's interesting because I can see now the connections. So this is actually flowers collected from all over the neighborhood that was made into this piece. <clears throat> After that, I did a whole series on sort of guns in our society and culture. So this is another piece called Shoot. Another piece, and again, Anna Mindyata's work is a lot about the transience of life, life and death, so I thought it was interesting. And another part of wanting to do this comic was about getting art out of the galleries into the streets. So this was actually a, a fashion show we put on that uh, was part of a real fashion show. And let me say, it blew everybody's mind because the paparazzi had no idea what was going on because we had an incredibly pregnant woman, a circus performer, there was a martial artist and a dancer. So, you know, everyone else was walking out and looked sort of all the same, and then these people in recycled jeans came out. So this was, this was it. So next I'll show you a bit about, this is Carol Caron's work. And if you see the book, I wrote it, and she illustrated it. So this is a piece in Montreal she did. She also does a lot of um, posters stuff like that, so that's some of her work. And the next one is one of my favorite pieces she did. It's, she does a lot of body painting, and this one is much better when it moves. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we got together and did Who is Anna Mendiata? It's published by the Feminist Press in English. And at the same time, because Montreal's bilingual, we published it in French, uh, a different edition from Les Editions du Remue-Ménage in uh, French. So a lot of people, if you don't know who Anna Mendiata is, I actually didn't know who she was when I first started this project. So um, I'm going to answer that question now. She's, uh, she was an artist who worked in the 70s and 80s. And she was born in Cuba, came to the United States uh, when she was 12 years old. Uh, I like this line, her parents said, we're sending you away to America for a year, two at the most, just until Castro's regime falls. So they didn't quite get that one right. Um, she, was, uh, she started doing body uh, performance work, and then later in her practice she moved on to um, more uh, land-based art. But really what a lot of people don't know about her work is she was a photographer and a video artist, and she made she was one of the most prolific artists, uh, video artists of her generation. So she made close to 80 films. So this is one of her earlier works when she was still working with her own body. Very uh, intense. It was uh, 
one of her student works uh, about a woman who was raped on the campus and her project was she actually invited her class and when they came to see her performance she had recreated the, the thing. So a very powerful artist. And you can see here this is our, a page from the comic where you see her um, doing this performance and, and my, when I made this page my, my thoughts on it were you know everyone's like oh you know how that's horrifying how could she do work like that but at the same time at that time, that's uh, Dick Wolf in the bottom corner there. He's the guy who made CSI. So I thought it was interesting that everyone thought, oh, that's really awful that she'd make that as art. But yet, as entertainment, we see it all the time. So that was... <clears throat> this is another one of her early works. It's called Body Tracks, and that's, that's her performing at the university. <clears throat> So later in her work, she really became more ephemeral. So her videos, instead of like a lot of the land artists where they'd come in and bring a truck and dig a hole and pour some concrete, she'd go in and she'd work with material that was there. Or in this case, she, she made this, she got uh, a Mexican firework, um, I don't know, I forget the official Mex name in Spanish, to make the armature. And so the piece is actually it being lit on fire and then going out. So it's, it's, very, you know, it's very much about the power and transience of life, a lot of her work. <clears throat> so this is another page from the comic. One of her better known performances of the skeleton. And uh, you can see the bottom piece. There's, if you look on the bottom right, that's one of her pieces from Mexico. Uh, and then that's the piece in real life. So that would be a photograph of her in the pit with the flowers growing out of her. I think I have one more. Oh, and here's another one. So the same thing again. She'd make a piece in nature and then film it as it changed over time. So it's very, uh, very interesting. So that's sort of who Caro and I are and who is Anna Mendiata. And then I'm going to pass you on to Nicola. And uh, what, afterwards, we'll have a discussion about graphic novels. Um, so my name's uh, Nicola Street, and I'm just going to talk about uh, my graphic memoir published uh, last year by way of introduction to what I do. Uh, it was based on an experience of losing my two-year-old child. Lose, I mean, he died, sorry, losing. Um, 16 years ago, and 12 years ago, I started, I decided to make it into a graphic novel. Um, and I'm just going to put in a few quotes as well. What actually happened is only raw material. What the writer makes of what happened is all that matters. Um, I wanted to make public my very personal private experience, and I started by doing it as part of an MA. Oh, and I'm going to do a graphic novel about the death of a child. I said a child, of course, I meant my child. But I didn't want to do it. It wasn't done raw. I didn't want to do it in a, uh, an individual way. I wanted to throw it out more to reflect on how society responds to death and grief. Um, and so this is how people do respond to death and grief when I suggest it. Depressing subject matter. I don't like comics, especially when I said I was going to do it as a comic. Why wouldn't I read a normal novel and use my imagination? I don't need the pictures. At that point, I switched to a research academic written uh, masters, because I found um, the responses so interesting. So why, why death? It's, and I, I mean, this is taking an idea that someone else 
uh, told me, we read travel books and we don't visit the countries, but we enjoy that. So it's that armchair experience of grief and death. And by, by doing that, we learn about how the world works around it. Why the comic form? Um, very briefly, I see it as democratic. Everyone knows how to do a comic. Uh, comics are easy. Uh, it, that's what people think, but they're also by doing, using this style, um, it's been quite interesting because people think it will be a light-hearted subject matter. So I use the simple style that creates a recognition, whereas if we use photos, perhaps it narrows down the audience's response. And um, this heavy subject matter that takes people who aren't familiar with the form by surprise. Uh, the impact and shorthand, this is the, one of the pages that's got most uh, response because I think people recognize, we recognize our own reactions. So I did this thing of, talked about how I judged people's different responses. And this is something we call toxic chatter, which is the beauty of the comic that you can show how you can think something completely opposite to what you say. And um, I, I decided on making it a memoir. This graphic memoir seems to be a term that has only recently been referred to. Uh, so the idea of having my own name on the book and my narration through the book and the actual dates and the actual hospital gives it that authenticity or a pact between the reader and the, the uh, author. And um, I introduced photography as well, uh, again, to bring it back to the true story element the camera never lies, but then juxtaposed with being, you know, a bit of stabbing that isn't true, but it's recognized as metaphor. Uh, only the suspect artist starts from art. The true artist draws his material elsewhere from himself. So this is the process as I was doing this academic work. And then um, I'm next going to talk a few minutes about why I, how I came to do it, because I meant to write about death, but life came crashing in as usual because 12, 12 years after the experience, um, I, was actually, I wasn't uh, a broken, crying person. I was very happy with my life and busy. And um, I by then had a 12-year-old, 11-year-old daughter, and she was watching me doing this boring stuff about death and saying, can't we do a comic? So we started this zine called Licorice, and um, we did it together. So she did the kids' page, and um, my husband did the men's page. With, he's an artist, but he got into the spirit of it. And we wanted to reflect that idea of women's page, men's page. And this is our dog, who has her own column. And she also has her own fashion page, because she's not pedigree, but she aspires to being that. And then we live in the country, in Lincolnshire, in, in a rural village, and they have this thing called the Produce Show every year, and it's like you've probably heard of with big marrows and big carrots and this. So they had this category called digitally enhanced photography. So I entered with this, and um, I was the only entry, and I still didn't win. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even get a post-it note or a certificate. So the next year, I was really determined. So I, put, I did the same uh, sequence of various And the next year, and, uh, someone else entered this time, and it was a picture of a boy dressed as Sherlock Holmes, and he won. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And I still didn't get it. So they sort of politely ignored me, and then 
after, so every year I'd do it and thinking, well, eventually, when, and then they just, this, you know, a couple of years ago, just didn't have the category. But that's the sort of thing. So that's the real life. And then it was actually from Licorice that Myriad Editions, the publisher, picked up Billy, Me and You. And when it came out, it, it got a lot of media and press coverage, as you can see, which um, I, I, I say to my publishers, I say more than any other British graphic novel, British graphic novel in the 21st century, because, um, uh, you know, that's fine. And uh, last week I was delighted it, uh, it, was, it received highly commended in the popular medicine category of the British Medical Association Medical Book Awards. So officially, um, I'm an award-winning graphic novelist. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then um, this is an introduction a bit to Sarah, because at the same time as I was studying, there were talks cropping up. Suddenly, the graphic novel was becoming a bit trendy in, in 2008. And uh, I went to this talk with a panel of all chaps, very nice. And I did this, Where Are the Women? And this is what my interpretation of everyone's response, except one woman was thinking, ha-ha, brilliant. And of course, in the coffee break, that was Sarah Lightman. And here we are having... <laughs> Me having wine, she has coffee. And with that, oh, and this is just a, what I'm doing next is I then got an Arts Council award at the beginning of the year to research um, issues around pregnancy. So I, I was funded to go and talk to the pro-lifers in the US. So watch this space. Over to Sarah. So I'm going to talk about the three different things that I get up to. I'm an artist. I'm a curator, and I'm also doing a PhD in uh, autobiographical comics at the University of Glasgow. Um, and they're all really, everything I do is all kind of about the same thing. Um, so uh, my PhDs are on autobiographical comics, but in particular on the drawn wound, which is hurting and healing in autobiographical comics, about how people show their hurt, and also maybe their, their artwork becomes part of their healing process and the stories that they tell in their graphic novels. Um, so I often start with this image, which is one of my... Uh, earliest uh, surviving self-portraits, which I did when I was 15 at school, so I think it's GCSE art project, and I drew myself, and everybody else in the year drew these kind of glamorous, perfect versions, and I drew this slightly unhappy, shaggy, eyebrowed um, girl with unruly hair, and uh, I drew the fact that my eye, eye, eyes aren't quite equal. I drew all the things that I could see, the kind of, uh, the, not the kind of like the ugliness of life. I'm, I'm quite excited by it. I, and I'm not afraid to show that I'm not always happy and life's not always easy. Um, so the things I was thinking when I was 15 are still the things I think now when I'm 37. Nothing's really changed. Um, and if you look in the background, this is just a detail of the drawing, but you can see a menorah, which is a Jew Jewish candelabra, which we have a, a, a festival every year. And my kind of Jewish identity and kind of engaging and having conflicts with my, my Jewish heritage is always uh, feeding um, my life. Um, uh, again, we have Virginia Woolf, um, and she talks about what sort of diary sh would she like hers to be? be something loose-knit, yet not slovenly, elastic that will embrace anything solemn, slight, or beautiful that comes to mind. She's thinking, what kind of diary can I have that could include all the things that I experience in my life, things that are heavy, things that are light, th things that matter, things that don't matter? She's thinking, in my mind, not just about the actual book, but where is this space in life where I can collect all my experiences? Um, and this is kind of what I was thinking. I'm thinking if I want to talk about my life, what's the form and what's the space uh, for me to be able to do this? Um, so I've decided to create this thing called the Book of Sarah. The Book of Sarah um, 
in, in, within uh, Jewish literature and heritage, there are various books of the Bible. There are the five books of Moses. Uh, and also, uh, my brother and sister are called Esther and Daniel. And there's a book of Daniel and the scroll of Esther. But actually, there's no book of Sarah. Uh, so as a third child who's feeling a little bit left out, I decided I had to write uh, my own book of the Bible. Um, so if, uh, in, in Jewish uh, not. Uh, Jewish texts of the Talmud, they often spend a lot of time arguing about the text. So here I'm saying I'm going to write this book of Sarah. It's going to be about the life of Sarah. And they're saying, but you can't write it. There isn't one. And I'm saying I'm going to write one. My brother and sister have got one, so I'm going to write one. So this is kind of my lifelong project that I started when I was an undergraduate at the Slade School of Art. And I did my postgraduate there, and I've just been doing this project ever since, drawing my life. And um, so... If you know, with, with, often with Bibles, you've got the Gutenberg Bibles, you've got these Bibles written in different places. So I decided my Bible should be written in Hampstead, which is where I grew up. So mine is the Hampstead Bible. Um, and what's also very interesting is if you read these biblical stories, the women figures, they just kind of pass through and they're not really the ones you follow. And there's this wonderful uh, text by Teresa de Laretis in this book called Alice Doesn't that she talks about female characters in ancient mythology. And she says they've been ins- survived inscribed in someone else's story, not their own. So they are figures and markers of positions, places through which the hero and his story move to their destination and to accomplish meaning. So the women are just incidental. You don't follow their stories and their development. And I wanted to rectify that in my story. Um, And also, in the Bible, you might know Abraham's wife was Sarah. She's one of the people that I'm named after. But really, she doesn't say very much at all. And it's not really her story you follow. So I wanted to make sure that Sarah, as well as my my Sarah and me, um, we get our own story. So there is the beginnings of the book of Sarah. Um, And I was inspired also by um, Charlotte Salomon, who some of you might have heard of, who uh, lived during the Holocaust and drew her life stories. Um, And then she was killed in Auschwitz. But what was amazing was she was a thinly veiled. I mean, she used character names, but you could tell it was her life, and she drew it with words and images, and it's an amazing flow and mix of text and image. Um, and actually, while I was at Slade, the photographer's tutor actually gave me a book about her. Uh, and, and to kind of show how much of an impact this book and her story made, I actually drew her book as if to kind of absorb it. Because, you know, some books make such an impact on you, they become almost your own artwork because you've taken them on so much. And I just wanted to show you some images of hers, um, which you can tell are beautiful, beautiful works, and I'd, I'd really recommend looking at them further. And what, what she does is she makes her characters talk kind of in a filmic way. So you, you have the same face a few times as if you would on a, a screen that's kind of holding on to each of these images as they're going through. So it's very beautiful. And what's really great is that Paul Gravette just edited 1001 Comics, and he asked me to uh, write about Charlotte Solomon as a comic artist in it. So it's really exciting that she's now being incorporated or even just being, um, can be accessed as a comic artist. She's many other things as well. But I think it's very exciting that now she's part of the comics world. So um, I thought I'd just show a few images of my work and then I'll show an animation film. Um, so as I said, I'm not afraid to talk about the slightly uncomfortable things I've had in life, including being dumped before Valentine's Day. And uh, here, I'm not, if you can see, there are three, image, three drawings, and they're bracketed by this mobile phone because I was dumped by phone. So uh, I wanted you to uh, experience in looking at the work. It takes you about two, three minutes to engage with the work, and that's about as long as that phone call took for me to get dumped. So there you are. You can go through it with me. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> You can see it's a very beautiful place. Uh, here's the first image. It's, uh, shall I read it to you? Yeah. 
says, I sat on this bench waiting for you to call me and say that you couldn't make it. It's fine, of course. I'd half expected it. Otherwise, why would I have chosen such a com why would I have chosen such a comfortable bench bench with such a nice view? And there's a Thames, and actually I'm outside the Tate Gallery. Uh, and there you are, Tim's calling me. Uh, I watched the, as I watched the water, I knew you meant more in your no-show than you cared to admit. And at this moment, my relationship's crumbling. My understanding of my current reality is changing, and I'm trying to hold on to the bar that protects me from the water, which is in constant flux. So it's this moment where everything's changing, you're just trying to hold on to things. And you can see all the structure of buildings, and you realize that your own personal life structure is shifting considerably. And in the final image it says, and it wasn't just this afternoon I was going to spend on my own. And suddenly you have all these items separate. If you notice in the first image, the bench is in a view, everything's interrelated, everything's in a construct, in a context. But by the final image, I'm all alone because there can be these times where you must realize in your life, you see everything so differently because you feel very differently. So the bench wasn't so comfortable or the, or the scene wasn't so perfect. And it's, as I said, it says, and it wasn't just this afternoon I was going to spend on my own. Uh, here's another set of three drawings. It's called Reciprocity, and it's about those moments of complicated friendship that you have. Maybe f female friendship in my case, but it could be, I suppose, many different types of friendship. I set the three drawings up like we were having tea together, and it should be a lovely tea. We've got two coffee cups and some uh, palmier elephant ears, which are kind of symbolic of a kind of engaged relationship when we're listening to each other. But actually... What's really happening is this. I had a friend for coffee and it became increasingly clear she was unable to be supportive of my work. Was it jealousy or ambivalence or genuine anxiety for me? Afterwards, I felt sad, nostalgic for the days of uncomplicated friendship. And I chose a, a tablecloth that looked like a chess play set because friendship can become an, a game of chess, of making moves, of hiding moves, of engaging in a, in a, in a way that's not relaxed. It's a political, political game. What I'll do, um, is it, can I show my film now and then quickly talk about graphic details? I've hardly been happy since we got engaged. I've always hated weddings. We had this wonderfully relaxing holiday. I dozed by the pool in my designer sunglasses and read books on trauma and bereavement. I had such beautiful days I never wanted them to end. Relaxed from my bleached hair to my sunburnt bunions. You waited till the last few hours of our holiday to propose. Contrary to what it says on the tube, when you asked me to marry you on the way home, I looked pretty rough. Now it's all about dresses, feeling too fat for boutique and too poor for bespoke. I could count the occasions I've worn my engagement ring on the fingers of one hand. Its value scares me. You should know I really love Charlie. Just two months after our third date, I traveled to Australia to meet him. It was perfect. It's just the idea of a wedding is such an ordeal. It puts my newly whitened teeth on edge. As I say to my friends, I can't promise it will be the happiest day of my life, but it sure will be the most expensive. The woman who sold me my tight white shoes was more excited than I was. I even got talked into a French lace bra for the honeymoon, I've so far resisted matching knickers. What would my suffragette great-aunt think? How can I be a feminist in a traditional Jewish wedding? In the meantime, my grandpa is not well and in hospital. I go in every day 
and every night I cry in a bath because he is in such pain. I want him to be left alone and in peace. I'm unconvinced of the benefits of medicine for a 92-year-old. His pain hurts me in my heart, and now he refuses to eat anything and gets upset at us. But still we visit every day and read him psalms. All of this reinforces how much family means. It makes me feel glad and blessed to have a man I love who will be my family now too. A candle for my grandpa's sweet soul, said the lady from the burial society. And I just wanted to just spend one minute telling you about a project that I'm also involved in. I'm co-curating an exhibition called Graphic Details, Confessional Comics by Jewish Women. And it's an internationally touring exhibition of 18 Jewish women's comics comic artists who've been making work since the 1970s till today. So um, you might have heard of like Trina Robbins or Diane Newman till people like Ariel Schrag. We've got Eileen Kaminsky-Crum as well in it. You might have heard of some of those names. Um, and the show's been in San Francisco, Toronto, New York, Washington, and it's going to Portland now, and I'm in negotiations to bring it to London um, as well. Uh, and what's so important about it is if I were to say to you, who are the Jewish comic artists you know, you'd probably come up with like Art Spiegelman or maybe Aline Kaminsky-Crum. You might have one or two, but actually women were making incredibly artwork all the way through that had a massive impact on the history of comics. And no one's traced how much these, these Jewish women were making from the 1970s till today. And Trina Robbins is one of our artists. She's a comic artist and a historian. And she talks about how in November 2005 to March 2006, the Hammer Museum Museum, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles presented a major exhibit called American Masters of Comic Art. Of the 15 cartoonists represented, there was not one woman in the show. So we have a lot, what we've got here, and it's got very everything to do with Anna Mendiata and her story, is that the, the history and the art history that's been created and the archives that, are being, that were made then were not representative of what the artwork that was being made. So I'm in this position as a curator, as an art historian, as an artist, to ensure that we can rewrite this art history, we can make a new archive, and we create events that recognize how much uh, these artists have made an impact into the history of comics. Uh, so when the exhibition, whenever the exhibition tours, my aim is always to create an event so we bring the artists to the public. So here we brought Sharon Rudolph and Trian Robbins, who made art all from the 1970s till today. We made a panel discussion with them uh, in, in, in uh, Toronto. We had uh, events and talks of Ariel Schrag, uh, at Yeshiva University Museum in, in New York, we did a one-day conference in which we had an academic talk about Diane Newman's comic, and then Diane Newman stood in the back and said, actually, that's my comic, and that's actually not what I meant at all. So that was really quite beautiful. How often would you get that? So those are really uh, wonderful. If we have time, I might, well, I might have time to be able to talk about some of these artists' work. And the other thing that I do uh, with my PhD, I run the Women in Comics conferences, and we've had two so far in 2008, 9, and 2010. One was at the University of Cambridge, one was the Leeds Art Gallery. And it's an opportunity to celebrate and to acknowledge how much women have made a difference to uh, the history of comics and to uh, celebrate and support uh, women academics uh, in their endeavours. So that's our projects. Um, now I'd love to invite Nicola on stage so we can chat about Ladies Do Comics. Sit here so I'm away. Out of the way. So, yeah, as Nicola said, that's the two of us chattering about guttering. So, shall I... Oh, oh yeah, you go, go So, uh, we just... Um, we were at a Bobby Baker exhibition after we met the first time, and 
thinking it was the one about her depression with the text and images and at the Wellcome Trust. And we were just sitting afterwards having a coffee saying, and Sarah had been going to a club um, which was talking about uh, sort of superhero type graphic novels. And she was saying, it's really great, it's really friendly. And I was saying, and is it in a pub with slime on, you know, slidey floors that, of beer? And, <laughs> and Sarah doesn't, and I was saying, wouldn't it be great to have somewhere that is perhaps a meeting that's, that's slightly more from a fine art background with talking about the type of works that we like, with coffee, or less intimidating to go to, perhaps, than a pub. Or... But, and also, thorough. Like, really, yeah. you can talk about stuff. You can more be intellectual. Like a, like a crit, comics. an art school crit. With but none in of a... the uh, angst. And also, and also um, because it's quite solitary, working alone, that we were fine. So it's nice to have meet that social meetup. So then we, we rented a place in the rag factory in, off Brick Lane, which was, it's great. And it's, what's great about it, it's you look up and you see the wires dangling down, and then you notice there's water dripping <laughs> down. So it's, it's got that edge. Um, and what's, what's amazing about it, and I, I, it always fills, fills me with a thrill, is that Nicola and I created it because we needed it. And we thought, if we need it, maybe somebody else does. And it evolved from 7, 10, 20 people coming up. Now we get like 70 every month. And um, it's just amazing feeling that you've built something. You, you have a friend, you have a friendship and a mutual interest. And this wonderful thing grows. And, and also, uh, it doesn't... Every now and then we talk about funding, getting funding for it, but then it would add that sudden anxiety. We don't have to do it, and that's the beauty of it. So, and we don't have to worry if no one comes or if we don't get an audience. So it's taken away that um, So one of the things we talk about, how because comics is now moving into a whole new sphere or getting a new audience, it has to be this new space. So... What we think this space should be is also a very friendly and supportive space. We're saying, like art school, but without the anxiety. So we have this thing um, called the question. And the reason we do this thing called the question is because when you go into talks like today, often you just sit and think, well, we're going to sit here and we're going to watch you. But what we're saying is you, our audience, really matter to us. We're interested to know who you are. And we also want you to have that feeling of being slightly nervous, like any speaker generally is, when they come and sit on the stage. So we, we, we only met someone today who said she's still deeply traumatised from having she's dealt with here. this in the last 80s. There you are, yes, look at she's quivering. So are you she's always dumb. going to have that question thing? <laughs> what we do is we ask people to introduce themselves and ensure that all women give their last names, because we find sometimes they don't. And we also have a, a question. But it seems also that it's a, new, a form of feminist activism, or we're starting to realise that's what it is, because it isn't women only, but it is women-led, and we can maintain the balance of presenters, and, and, and it seems to... Which is... So really, if only the government yes. followed our well, lead and us. made sure... Well, no, just made sure there was a balance of gender, because half the population is women, apparently. Um, and also what we found is people give, often give very, very personal work because uh, it, our emphasis is autobiography. The work people show is often very powerful and painful. It might be one of the first few times they've exposed this part of their lives or these works to the public. So it really has to be a generous space where people feel they can be open. And it's, the more personal people are, the more honest they are, the more wonderful the discussions are. It, it's, it's something that the kind of the risk you take 
it is really pays back, and people have it very, find it very powerful. Um, and uh, we say we have artists and academics and general public come. It's, it's very open space. We're, we're amazed when we, when we hear who our audience is, how, what a variety of people that come. Uh, and now we have uh, ladies do comics in, we've had ladies comics in Toronto, we have one in London. They've got regular meetings now in San Francisco at the Cartoon Art Museum, run by our lovely Maureen Burdock, whose work is up there. Nicola ran a ladies in New York. And they're starting one in Leeds. And they're starting one in Leeds, and there's interest to set one up in Ireland. So we're quite impressed. We've kind of made an international franchise that makes no money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, that's all I'd like. to monetize it. Uh, so just the other things, is, as late, like, like today, Ladies has given us amazing opportunities. And one thing we did was we chaired a panel in Toronto at a comics and medicine conference. And our question was, why are older women creating graphic memoirs? Which is amazing. We had all these women in the prime of life, mm -hmm. who had decided to tell stories about difficult moments in their lives. And these women uh, were uh, Nicola, um, Sandra Bell Lundy, who wrote, wrote about uh, infertility, uh, Leslie Fairfield, who wrote about her a battle and, and recovery from uh, uh, anorexia, and Dragon Slippers, we've got her book up there, that's uh, Rosalind B. Penfold, who wrote about being in an abusive relationship. So these are all women who later in life, after a certain amount of time, Return to traumatic moments in their lives and then created graphic memoirs. Uh, so these are just a little bit of things about it because you, they should, you would think they might become invisible, but these women are being ultra visible on the page. And uh, we, had, we had Nancy K. Miller in the audience, so it was kind of a little one for her. But it talks about how um, you're encouraged not to expose yourself as women. That's one of the things society encourages you not to, to show certain parts of yourself and your lives. And actually, these graphic memoirs are all about that. Uh, and I think now uh, we're moving on to just uh, the kind of general discussion level layer. So uh, why don't we all return to the stage? Uh, Rachel and Joe, would you like to bring a chair? We can all um, switch over the channel. So what we thought is we might have a little chat between ourselves and then in, a, in about five minutes' time we'll open it up to the audience. How does that sound? Mm. Yes? Good. Excellent. Uh, so, um, does anybody have any questions for anyone? I have questions. <laughs> well, I, I, had a, I don't know if, if anyone has read the, Can I just grab a copy yeah, of the book? Yeah, yeah, grab but the it's, book. I, what was really interesting about the format of the book is, right. and I, maybe you can talk about it, is sure. for anyone here, the first part, first it's got a text essay, which is really nice, an introduction. By Lucy Lippard. Yeah. By Lucy Lippard, which is great. I really enjoyed mm -hmm. that. And then it's got the, the comic. And then at the back, you've done this bit called Blind Spot, which can you talk a bit about that and why you did it and yeah, sure. how you came to that? Well, I think the whole, uh, how I came to make this is I was hired by a gallery to be in charge of their art publications and my first day on the job I walked in and I said, you do know I hate art publications. And they looked at me and went, what? <laughs> and I was sort of joking, but at that time I was writing a lot about the arts and I was getting a lot of art publications in the mail. So I was, it, this was a a feminist artist-run center. They didn't have a lot of money. And I was looking at a lot of the art publications. They were super expensive to make, super expensive to buy. So who's going to buy it? We just fought really hard to get the gallery out of an uh, arts building down on the main street in Montreal, trying to reach out to a new audience. That was part of our thing. So I thought, really, we need to think of a new type of art publication. So that's why I came to the graphic novel or graphic biography. Um, I know I'm getting away from your no. question, but I'm getting back to it. Um, 
but uh, so that's, that's how I started to think, like, how could we make, and then they had these boxes full of publications in the basement, and they're like, could you sell those for us? And I was like, no, like nobody wants to buy. I can maybe sell one or two, but it's very hard when the exhibition was five years ago to get someone interested in buying the work. So we started thinking about how could we make something that had a longer shelf life. So we started thinking, we can look around us, see the women who are making work now. Let's go back a generation and look for someone interesting to bring back in the public consciousness. So that's how Anna Mendiata first came up. Um, in a lot of other ways, we really didn't know what we were doing when we were doing this. I know I'm not supposed to probably get up here and say that, but we sort of thought we were Art Spiegelman and we were going to have this huge book. So we actually made this. These drawings, as you can see, are quite dense. And, we, and then when it came time to get published, they said, how small can you make them? And it's like, oh, no. Uh, so, and then, uh, so, but the whole thing about reaching out to the public that was walking by, we really wanted it. So let's say you knew a lot about the art world, great, you can read this book. Let's say you know nothing. Pretty unintimidating opening up a comic. I set up the front like Tintin. You have all the characters, so even if you don't know who they are. Uh, Lucy Lepard was just sheer luck. Uh, I joked throughout the entire writing of the comic that we were going to get her to write the intro because uh, all the research I did, they said, She'd say, you know, I thought I'd have more, a longer time to write about Anna Mindiata's work. I didn't, you know, she, she obviously died uh, tragically in 1985. So she always complained that she never got to write that piece. So I was like, ah, she can write her piece now as a joke. And I phoned up um, Judy Chicago because I, I wanted to use one of her quotes. Yes, you do. Oh, yeah. Or maybe I emailed her anyway. Judy, it's me. Anyways, and so I, I needed to talk to her to get permission to reprint one of her quotes. And I said, oh, by the way, the feminist press wants to run an introductory essay at the front of the book. Would you be interested? And, and she, uh, she actually, she emailed me back and said, it's not me. You want, you want Lucy Lippert, and I've already sent her the book, and you call her, here's her number, and blah, 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 and the rest is history. So it was a bit odd that our joke actually became a reality. And... So the part, so that's the, the front, the middle, and the it, middle tells the story. Um, just to say, but it, so it's really a nice introduction from Lucy Lippard, contextualizing it, but also from quite a personal point of view, yes. because she knew Anna Mendieta and was part of that whole scene and knew Carl Andre. So it's just great. Yeah, it's yeah, a no, really nice opening. Ask for more. And um, when you're saying about reaching out to a, a new audience, really, for right. art books, it, it, it keeps the old audience because it's got an introduction so an art person who's used to reading prose will be drawn in through the text mm. introduction that's what I quite like about it, it whereas art speaker when you're straight into a comic book or you right. know, that, no, so is, that's what I thought was quite interesting that you were balancing a prose and a comic and then at the end now you must right. talk well, about it is actually used a bit too in uh, courses as well uh, this book has been used so yes. In the, you have these, these drawings, I think there's a few more here, we yeah, can go through the uh, stuff, uh, but then at the end of the book, everything in the drawings, all the quotes, where they came from, all the people, who they are, all the stories that are hidden, if you don't know them, it's all in the back, that then you can read up about, oh, who's this person, what's happening here, and what's going on, and so that, uh, that's how that came about. Uh, the book's quite interesting as well, because it's, the comic kind of tells it from her perspective, Anna's story. Yes. So, you know, versions of history, you can watch some programs that take the very personal approach and some that are more documentary style. So I quite like the way 
at one stage you felt you were her because you were reading her story as she was telling it. And then the other side, you were reading it as an outsider, as somebody who'd be reading newspapers. Mm -hmm. So I felt that was quite an interesting way to see one's life, both as an experience you're living, but also how history will write about you and others will write about you, which I think is kind of what it's about, because it's about the idea that history can be quite selective about the narrative it tells about people, unless you decide to rewrite it. Because in many ways, history is decided, or like newspapers, so, and newspapers. justice has decided that um, Anna Mendieta was not murdered. Right, mm. right. So that's what they decide, unless you choose to write the book that draws that into question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I thought that, that the whole structure was about, it depends well, who's writing it. Who's writing it. That's shocking. Story, all really. the information Isn't is it? out there that's in this book. I didn't, yeah. I didn't find any of it. It's all there. And as I was researching it, I was thinking to myself, you couldn't make this stuff mm -hmm. up. Like you, and the quotes, even, you know, all, all the quotes, it was just, I would just be there like, oh, I can't believe they said that or this was there. It's, you know, so it's very interesting. It was really just a mashup of the, what was already out there that is then uh, put into one place in the book, so. And I'm quite interested to know why Rachel and Joe, you felt you really wanted to show this work. Yes, mm. we wanted Good to show question. it so much that we opened up a second gallery. Within <laughs> <laughs> our gallery. When, because when Christine contacted us, um, we knew we had a show running at that point, but thought, oh, we have a large new site, let's open this new bit and put it on. Did to see the Heschel, um, the Women Art Revolution film, film, which has a big section on it about Anna Mendetta's story. Saw it at the Whitechapel. Yes, it was here. with the and, maker. And it kind of all, so that was on the agenda. Yeah. And then you'd already bought the, I knew the book, the graphic novel, and then Christine contacted us looking for somewhere, and we just went yes. Um, it was very refreshing, let me tell you. It <laughs> doesn't happen every like, day in the art world. It's just like everything all slid in to, yeah. together, didn't it? There's so many things we're interested in around feminism, around um, comics, around you know, artists, artists, and, art and women artists not being recognised mm. particularly. And I think that's still. I think we're discussing this a bit earlier. I think the art world is increasingly conservative. Mm. There are many, many group shows around that are all male artists, but if, they're, if it's all women artists, then that's still that's pointed at as yes. being an unusual yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So something, you know, a lot of those things we've always been conscious of mm. as we've run Space Station 65 about, um, yeah, who we're showing and not not wanting to have a show that's all men ever I, and things like that. We, 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 and we, we love the book. Mm. Yeah. Always very good. Yeah. We've noticed. We've noticed that Whitechapel actually has a prize, the mm -hmm. Max Max Prize for women artists. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, I interviewed Ivana Blazwick, who is the director here, and it was interesting because at that time I had a rough copy of this book, so I showed it to her, and she started talking to me. And I think that the prize had just started then. I think it was 2007. I spoke to her, but I might be off by a year. And uh, she was saying. Um, that uh, they had just made this call for women artists, and what blew her mind is they got such amazing art in, such great artists, and she had never heard of any of them before. Mm -hmm. And that whole prize is structured around, I, I believe that um, they give the woman six months residency, they get a show, they get a publication, they get a chance to, uh, they get commissioned to make a work, and even if they, if they have kids, let's say, or, or something like that, because that's often an issue with, uh, 
women, uh, they can bring them with them. So, so I think they've done three now. So that's uh, that's pretty amazing too. So, you know, it's not uh, just us uh, <laughs> us who are saying this. It's sort of recognized from the White Chapel through to Space Station 65 or whatever. Nicola, did you have something to say? Well, I did, but I just wonder if we should yes, open yeah, up yes. to questions from the audience. If not, if, if, if not, I, I, I have another. Okay. Well, it's still about the bit, um, it's still, I'm going on about it. No, no, actually, I had two more. Well, it was interesting that when I was reading it, I wasn't familiar with Anna Mendieta's artwork, and it was really nice, your introduction showed the work. And it, it, as I was reading, I, it crossed my mind, was it a conscious decision, or what, why was there a decision not to have, say, image, photo, photographic images? Because it's referred to and drawn, but I just wondered if that would have... Uh, what, what well, your process was. I came across a lot of things to do with copyright. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I tried when I, uh, the feminist press first said they were going to print it, I said, uh, well, it's Creative Commons I've, that I was trying to say that I had the right to everything in this book, and their lawyer decided I was wrong. <laughs> so uh, I guess it, just in case any of you are writing comics, the part in the comic, the drawing pages themselves, that was okay. Like when I quoted somebody, went all that stuff. But the part at the back where I got into the longer text or reproductions, oh. I actually had to go get the rights for all of it. And they said, and the bad news is we have no money to pay for any of it. So that took about six months, but everyone was very gracious and just said, go for it, except for the New York Times. Wanted an outrageous amount of money, and uh, I just paraphrased that part. Oh. <laughs> and so could and you have so, used the photos, the okay. actual copies? And of so the, the thing is, actually, when I, I contacted the estate, it's run by mm -hmm. Gallery of the Long to start with, and uh, said to them, uh, oh, I'm writing, I wrote them and said, I'm working on this project, never heard anything. So when it was done, I contacted them, and they're, the, the woman who runs the gallery's answer was, we didn't authorize you to do that, and they were not happy at, at all, actually. And, and since then, uh, I have been touring uh, with this book, a show showing Anna Mendiata's films and uh, new media works by contemporary artists, just to show the lineage and create this connection between the generations and also to draw attention to the fact that she was a very prolific video artist. And so because of that, I've actually have made friends with the estate, but when the book was actually published, they were, they're very, they like to know what's happening, so it wasn't possible to include them uh, at that time, but we, we did talk about it, but that's why we just went with the straight drawing. So with the newspaper cuttings, could you have used the actual, were you, would you have been allowed to use the well, actual? Well, some of them I... What, because for, in the book it's drawn, so the photos are drawn, or, or are they made well, up, or are they No, I just thought, well, actually, they're all just taken from the drawing. Yeah. So that was just for ease of people that, yeah. you know, they didn't go, is that the picture of the yes, guy yes, here? Yeah, like, yeah. it was like, okay, that's the drawing of the guy. Oh, that's yeah, so I that's, uh, it was really just to make it clear so people could follow the story mm -hmm. and uh, not get lost in the details. And presumably people will then go on who are exactly. captivated by that and they will Google mm. and they will find stuff and mm. it never occurred to me that it would have been photographs. That's really interesting that you mm. ask that. It mm. does seem so right that it's drawn, all drawn mm. in that way. And anyone brave enough for a question? Mm. Comment? Mm. Yes. Sorry, you have two in the book now. They did the first time round. Since you have experience with the book coming Um... Well, I'm working on a, a second book now, 
And I know one thing I'm going to change is just uh, it's going to be a lot longer, the drawn part, and uh, probably uh, uh, just because I know the size, things like that. That's really what I changed because I know the format. So, but uh, I'm pretty happy with the, the, the book the way it is now. But I definitely learned a lot from making it, and I'll, you know, it's making the next time around hopefully uh, go a lot uh, smoother. Are you allowed to say what your next? Project yeah, here. it's on uh, Judy Berry, who was an environmental activist and union organizer in California who fought to save the redwoods. So it's really a look at uh, our interaction with trees throughout, uh, you know, throughout the centuries and sort of how civilization has followed the trees and then ends on the West Coast with and, the big trees. And the other question, is that all right to ask another? Um, is, can you talk a little bit about the collaborative process with Caro, because the, the yes. artist, because I wasn't yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. But it, and how long it took, and we, we are actually started this. We that? are, we are. Actually, we weren't friends when we started this book. I didn't know her uh, at all. I, I, uh, there was three women comic artists that I knew of in Montreal, mm -hmm. and I liked Caro's work. And uh, I originally thought I was going to write the whole book. I thought something about the comics and the many talking heads is that we could have more than one voice, unlike a usual art publication where it's one person's view. And I did try to do that, and it failed miserably. I actually hired a couple of women to write text on Anna Mendiata, and I got the text, and I thought, oh, this isn't a comic. You know, what? I guess maybe the direction wasn't clear enough, but that, that's when I realized I was going to have to synthesize the story. And then I became very connected and attached to the story after working on it. It took me two years to write the... Uh, research it and write the uh, story part. And so I, phoned, I had already talked to Caro, and she said, I'll do two pages. And you come over to, she's French, I'm English, so it was a very bilingual uh, collaboration. And she said, come over to my house, and I'll show you the two pages, and we'll see if we can work together. And it was very interesting, because when I got to her house, it, it was, we were seeing the same thing, but it was like from two different sides. And I thought, all right, I can work with you. We, we, got, yeah. we, we got it. And to be honest, it's, it was great, right? Right through, it was a great collaboration. No, uh, we didn't ever yelled at each other or anything. <laughs> she, it's too bad she's not here. She's yeah. quite a character. Well, if we haven't got uh, any any question, anything to say, or you can always come and speak to us uh, individually at the end. What we brought is we also brought a collection of graphic memoirs by uh, women uh, working today. So please have a look at our own library as well as feel free to purchase. Uh, uh, who is Anna Mendiata as well? Uh, we've got Billy information. Pardon? And Billy, me, and you. And Billy, me, and you. We've um, also got prints, and we've got information about Space Station 65 and their exhibition. And feel mm. free to chat to Rachel and Joe about that. Also, just finally tell you that Ladies Do Comics runs every month. We've got our own website, and if we go to the very end All right. of our talk. Do. Oh, oopsie, wrong one. Oh, we'll go back. Oh, sorry. There's everybody's website. We'll leave that as our final slide. Uh, you can look at any, any of us online, um, and you'd all be welcome to a Ladies Do Comics meeting, which happens just up the road at the Rag Factory just off Brick Lane. So thank you very much for coming, and thank you very much to uh, all our artists, and thank you yep. to the Whitechapel for yes. enabling this event. Thank you. The exhibition, Who is Anna Mendiata, is running until the 4th of November at Space Station 65, 373 Kennington Road, London, SE11, 4PS, nearest Tube Kennington and nearest rail station, Vauxhall. And the gallery's website is spacestation65.com.
with 65 being spelled as words. The next Ladies Do Comics meeting is taking place on the 22nd of October and guests include artists Simon Grennan and Lucy Lyons and writer Faye Trier. That's at the Rag Factory, 16 Henyage Street, London, E1 5LJ. And you can find more information about Ladies Do Comics at ladiesdocomics.com. That's L-A-Y-D-E-E-Z-Do-Comics.com. Ladies Do Podcasts was introduced by me, Alex Fitch, Joe David and Rachel House from Space Station 65. Recorded by the Whitechapel Gallery and edited by Alex Fitch. And there'll be a new episode next month at www.ladiesdopodcasts.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening.